Alaska cries foul in a billion-dollar lawsuit against the poultry industry. Professor Roger Blair and Ms. Terza Angerhofer from the University of Florida join us to discuss what everyone's squawking about. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. It's great being here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and making this show part of your day. And so today we're going to be talking about a large antitrust case against some of our biggest food producers. And as I understand, we'll probably get into a few other ones as well. Apparently, there's a lot of these going on at the country at the same time. But before we get into all of that, we need to thank our sponsor, Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's known as spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's say hello to our guests. We have Professor Roger Blair and Ms. Terza Angerhofer from the University of Florida. Welcome to the show, you all. Hello, thanks for having us today. I'm Terza Angerhofer. Yeah, and I'm Roger Blair, and I'm also happy to be here. <laughs> well, welcome, though. Thank you so much. And, you know, thanks for doing the pregame and kind of getting everything squared away. I took the uh, the original approach that this was kind of one case, but as you all educated me earlier, there are several cases going on in this antitrust poultry genre here. So let's start with this, just kind of the bona fides, you know, kind of uh, talk about some of the work you all do. So, Professor, you know, you're at the University of Florida, you're the chair of the Department of Economics, but, you know, tell us about some of the work you do at University of Florida? Well, I teach uh, undergraduate and graduate classes in antitrust economics, uh, among other things. And I have an ongoing research agenda that includes antitrust cases and the address the law and economics of antitrust. And, um, you know, on occasion, you know, I serve as a expert witness for either a plaintiff firm or a defense firm. And Terza, I understand that you're also a co-author in an article with Professor Blair. It's titled Monopoly and is it Monop Sony? It's Monopoly. A- <laughs> I'm sorry, thank you. I had to look that word up. I just don't know how to pronounce it. And so antitrust injury standing and damages. Now you also work for the University of Florida and I guess you and Professor Blair work together, but tell us about some of the work you do there. Hi, so I'm Teresa. I work with Dr. Blair on a number of various projects at the University of Florida. So as Lawrence mentioned, we just recently published an article in Monopoly and Monopsony, where we actually look at, analyze these poultry industry and the beef industry and various other meat processing industries. Um, I'm also doing other work on Apple and various other papers in antitrust economics. Excellent. And pre-congratulations on your upcoming graduation. That's going to be really exciting. Thank you. All right, let's transition over to this main case that sort of brought all of this out. Now, as I understand it, this is sort of a uh, kind of a headwaters, a lot of cases coming together here. And this is sort of the big one. But as we're going to discuss today, there's several others that have been circulating around the country related to the poultry industry and pricing. So let's open up with this. And I'm not sure who's more comfortable to talk about this, but this case, the state of Alaska versus, as I understand, 21 poultry producers in the country. And this count here includes some of our largest poultry producers. So let's just talk about the basic facts of that case. What happened? All right. So the Alaska Department of Law is filing a consumer protection lawsuit against these 21 businesses that are involved in the poultry industry. Essentially, they are alleging that these businesses operated a cartel and illegally inflated the prices of 
a lot of the chicken products that are produced in the state. Okay. And so this like dovetails into a bunch of other similar cases around the country. And so now you all been covering this or what are some of the other big states where this is going on? So some of the other big state actions, I should say, you know, around the country, there's probably some other areas, probably some other citizens involved in this. So where else have you all been seeing this? So we've observed similar sorts of complaints and these are mostly class actions that are representing the buyers. Some of them represent the, the growers, but they involved, in addition to chicken, there was one involved with turkey. They also had cases that involved the beef industry, pork, and then also in seafood, there was salmon and tuna. So there's been a lot of at least alleged uh, antitrust violations going on in the industries that supply protein to the economy. Gotcha. So this really is widespread. I mean, you just mentioned a variety of different areas in the supply chain there. So in terms of those industries, what percentage do you think are involved in these allegations? A large percentage for sure. So a lot of the cases have cited agri-stats as the major motivator for these cases in the sense that agri-stats is this place where all of these various producers can input information on their prices, how many chickens they're selling, wages, and other things. And so many of these cases are alleging that all of these producers have been using this information site to fix prices. Okay. And then what what are the, I guess, what are the grounds for the allegations? How how are uh, the powers that be that are bringing these lawsuits determining that these prices might be fixed? So there, I guess, as I was reading, these prices are going up. There seems to be some collusion. How are they showing that? What's cueing them in to make these charges? Yeah. So what gets the, the case started is not always very clear from, you know, by the time that we are actually you know, looking at them. I'm not sure exactly how they got, you know, these various class actions got started. I mean, somebody certainly identified that something, it looked like something fishy was going on. And, you know, and then they proceeded to uh, investigate further. So for example, as Terza mentioned, there's uh, this AgriStats, which is a data service that the firms have access to. And sometimes what they'll do is, or there are indications that, you know, they've got plenty of inventory and the price goes up. And then they explain that publicly as there's a shortage. And so, you know, they're misrepresenting the facts to provide an excuse for increasing prices. Or they sometimes what they've done is they point to increased costs that are not directly related to the protein source itself or like the what they have to pay for the chickens. But you know, something on the order of like feed prices are up or uh, some insurance costs have skyrocketed or, you know, things of that nature. And often, you know, those things are just simply not true. So when you have these pretextual excuses for price rises, and it turns out that on further 
uh, investigation that is simply not true, you know, that raises suspicions. And, you know, you sometimes will get, you know, the government agencies, either state or federal, you know, either the antitrust division or the Federal Trade Commission will start taking a look at, at the facts. And, you know, once they do that, they can issue requests that the firms must answer and they have to tell the truth or, you know, they run the risk of being charged with perjury. So, you know, it's, it's things like that. Sometimes, you know, somebody for some reason or other is suspicious about price fixing and, you know, a private firm or individual and bring that to the attention of the agency. And, you know, if they think that this is worth looking at, they'll, they'll look into it. And if they are satisfied that something funny is going on, then they'll proceed. Now, some of these cases are, you know, coming up from 2016. So they've been sort of this ongoing saga around the country. But, you know, uh, recently, obviously, with COVID-19, there's been some pretty severe shocks on the supply chains. You know, restaurants aren't buying the same amount of food that they used to. Now, things are beginning to open up. But, you know, during 2020, demand was way down. And so any company that ships goods across the country is not able to take advantage of that, that full volume-based discount getting goods from point A to point B. So you know, just from what you all have seen kind of in this general collection of food uh, production cases, you know, how much of that are some of these companies blaming on COVID-19, even though the origins are before? Well, from my understanding, the cases go all the way back from 2012 or oh, to wow. 2012. Oh, as in they're alleging that the price fixing started in 2012 and continued on from there. So they can't really use COVID-19 as an excuse. Since the price fixing, the allegations seem to go back that far. Okay. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So now obviously these are all, they're sort of uh, culminating into uh, some actions. And I think the state of Alaska just decided, you know, uh, seeing all these things uh, separately developed, just decided, you know, we're going to sue a bunch of organizations and try to get this all done at once. Now that's in a state court, but these go across other states as well. So I guess my prediction with that at some point, a bunch of these cases are going to be joined together. I think they will end up in federal court. But let's transition a little bit into the type of law that's going to be looked at with these kind of cases. Now, we're we're getting into antitrust. And so Dr. Blair and Terza, you know, on this show, um, when we talk about the law, and even though it, it comes from Legal Talk Network, we try to make it so that you don't have to have a law degree to understand the law as we discuss it, how it applies to your life. And so I want to get into antitrust laws and price fixing. But before we get to that, I want to get just a layman's explanation as to what antitrust law is and why we have those type of laws in our country. Okay, so the fundamental antitrust statute dates back to 1890. And the, the single driving purpose is to protect and promote competition as a means of allocating scarce resources and determining prices and quantities and quality and product variety and so on. So most of these cases will be filed as violations of Section 1 of the Sherman Act, which prohibits conspiracies that restrain trade. And, you know, they're restraining trade in the sense that they're agreeing not to compete. And in fact, they're raising price above the competitive level. And so what happens as a result of that is that consumers pay higher prices 
and their disadvantages as a result. But there's also, you know, something that, you know, technically is a misallocation of resources because there are products that should be sold because the price that they would command is above their costs, but they're not sold because the firms have agreed not to sell those extra units and therefore keep the price up. So this is the basic legal foundation for these lawsuits. All right. Now, going forward with the case like this one from Alaska, I understand there's a lot more kind of in the similar vein, but in order to be successful, what do the relative parties have to show? So the plaintiffs to prevail, in this case, the state of Alaska, what is it going to have to show against 21 separate defendants in order to prevail in a price fixing case? So price fixing is per se unlawful which means that all the plaintiffs have to do is just to prove that it happened. Okay. Now, on the flip side of that, because, you know, as we looked at COVID, and I, and I know this goes back and predates COVID, but some of these producers, you know, may have been swept up into decreased access to supply chains. And of course, that will raise the price. So simply because the price increases, it doesn't necessarily mean that they've committed price fixing necessarily. You know, they, they change their prices in alignment with what's available. But from the point of view of defending that, these defendants, what can they show? What can they justify that might get them off the hook here? First of all, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that you said is, not really the way that the market works. So when you say that the, they don't have the same sort of access to the supply chain, and the reason for that is what? The restaurants are closed down or operating at greatly reduced capacity and, you know, and that sort of thing. Well, what that should do is that should lower the prices, not raise the prices. In other words, the firms have product that they want to sell that they can't sell, and, you know, and that should cause the price to fall so that they can get rid of that product. So that's, uh, you know, I think that we should be thinking that, you know, COVID, to the extent that COVID decreases the demand for the products, that ought to reduce price rather than increase it. So COVID is, you know, going to be a hard sell. I but- will say the, <clears throat> what COVID has done is it has closed down a lot of the meat processing plants because the workers have been getting the virus, they can't work, et cetera. So this has led to a decrease in supply, which would increase the price. Well, sure. And then also there's you know additional regulatory matters that are associated with that. So there has to be probably a different set of cleaning procedures and you know, you've know you got reduced, uh, like you said, capacity. So when, that, uh, when the supply goes down, demand goes up, that increases the price. But to your point, that doesn't explain fixing the prices. So they may be able to increase, but they can't fix them together. So I think that that's the angle you're coming from, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. Well, just based on what you've seen with sort of the macro lens cast across the country, you know, where do you think these cases go? Now, a big case like the Alaska case, where do you think that goes? Where do you think some of these other ones go? Do you think there'll be like one of these big ones will fall and there'll just be a bunch of uh, dominoes tumbling and you'll see a bunch of these companies getting in trouble for price fixing? Uh, sure. But, you know, the, the cast of characters changes some from product to product. For, so, for example, and in the, the tuna case, there are really only three, you know, major or not even major. Essentially, there are three companies, you know, Bumblebee, Starkist, and Chicken of the Sea. And, and as far as I know, I mean, they're not really in the other industry. I mean, they don't do chicken or beef or pork. So, you know, there's going to be 
some there's some overlap, you know. So Tyson, for example, is in multiple protein markets. You know, they're in beef, they're in chicken. So, you know, as the cast of characters changes, you know, the suits are are different. I mean, you can't put these cases together. So there's going to be, and there are already cases that are dealing with each of these markets. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see and see what happens here. And it uh, should be some interesting times coming up. Well, Professor Interza, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate our conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like today's episode, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. It's good for the show. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And lastly, but never leastly, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough, and our LTN audio crew for the continued hard work. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 